0: So like Brendan said, my name is Emma Chasey. I'm on the campus staff here at Bluemont, so I work with called Greatness. Um, and if we haven't been able to meet yet, I would absolutely love to meet you. Um, to give you a little bit about me. I grew up in a very, very close-knit family, um, extended family and intermediate fam- or like immediate family. We had dinner every Friday and Sunday. We did game nights on Fridays. We were playing sports together throughout the week. Uncles and aunts were always our coaches. That was the st- that was the standard for us. And so when coming to college, I was like, okay, I don't really know what I want to do. So I'm going to stay home and I'm going to do community college. And then COVID hit. And what do I do? Decide to transfer to K-State. And my decision for K-State wasn't because of the academics. It wasn't for the beautiful limestone buildings or the awesome football team that we now know. Um, It was because my cousins were going here. And so I followed family here and I decided to live with them. But when we were preparing to move in, one of the parents of the family members I lived with said was talking about how difficult I would be to be as a roommate. And I didn't realize it initially, but it rooted some deep resentment towards that side of my family. And of course, after living some time together during COVID, all classes online around each other 24-7, nobody had a job, so we were literally around each other 24-7. Eventually, a falling out happened. Words were exchanged, and the family's dynamic completely changed. I felt like as the family dynamic changed, I took on the weight. It was my fault, and I was to blame. So, my mental and physical health suffered for months. I randomly lost a ton of weight, my anxiety heightened, and it made me really, really frustrated with my family. So, to deal with this, I just ran away. I decided that if I pretended that it didn't happen, then it didn't, and I could be Miss Independent who didn't need anybody. (laughs) And after a few months of attempting that and failing, I decided, well, maybe I can try and repair this relationship myself, and that ended up failing as well. I needed outside help, and I needed God's help. I started my senior year after quite literally moving away from that situation. I moved into my own apartment, and God placed people from Blumont in front of me as a life jacket. After a few months of learning about Jesus and starting to get really in deep in my relationship with God, I was pushed to go to our women's retreat called Restore. And two years ago at Restore, I gave God my resentment. I was finally released and found support in my community of Christ. And I realized that I had idolized my family and that the weight of the separation wasn't my fault, but the resentment that I had towards my family was. I prayed for release from the grudge, to change my view of that part of my family and for forgiveness for myself. And upon removing or returning to Manhattan, I apologized to that family member and started treating her as family again. It was no longer who had hurt who, but how could I love you in that situation? It was a reconciliation that I wasn't sure would happen without God. In Matthew 18:22, Peter asked Jesus, how many times will I have to forgive? And Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. I had to realize that forgiveness is an ongoing battle and one that we might, must be mindful of. Even recently, this past summer, I went on the mission trip to Poland, shout out, awesome trip, Um, and I realized that my family still had a really strong hold on me. There was a fear that I would always get the short stick, that Chasey's always ended up last, and that's just how it was. My fear of always getting the short stick shifted my perspective of my place in the kingdom. So in Poland, I prayed to be released from mentality that I deserved to be forgotten. I had to forgive my family for instilling in me that I deserved to be last place, because that's the reality of being a Chasey. Forgiveness is so much stronger than anything. And forgiveness is something we must continually do without keeping count. And oftentimes, it's something you have to do over and over again each and every day, like the situation with my family. And now the situation my family, the relationships, they're all growing. Um, I see them reaching out to me. My physical and mental health has been greater. I've gained all the way back. And as I continue to like reflect on this, I realized how deeply God's hand was in this situation. Had I not had the big... Frustrating blow-up fight with my family. I wouldn't have turned to God. I would still be idolizing my family and I realized how deeply rooted my identity was in my family and how God wanted my identity to be in him and Through this experience. I've understood the meaning of true forgiveness And that it's a heart change and a choice that we make that comes through the power of Christ
1: So great so great, thank you Emma I just, I'm glad I came today. Man, I'm, gonna, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready for the week. I just, I love how hearing how God's working our lives, and I love how God meets us as we're worshiping him. Um, it's, it's so good. And as, as I was listening to Emma talk, I was just struck by how so often the things that we think are not the big issues in life really are what the big issues of life are. And the things that we think are like, oh, that's a big deal. That's a big problem. That's a big sin. Oftentimes, that's not the thing that really has got us, or that we really—that really is the the, the issue that we should be focused on. And um, I was talking to a friend a couple days ago who lives in a small town in Kansas, uh, one of the alumni of our ministry here, and he was telling me how he was so frustrated because he's part of a church there, and. There's one couple in their church, and good things are happening, lives are being changed, the church is growing. But there's one couple that has a problem with gossiping and backbiting and just slander, just like saying untruthful, hurtful things about people. And it just is happening over and over and over again, and it's causing destruction. And he's talked to the leaders of the church, and they're kind of like, well, it's not that big of a deal it's, they're trying, they're sorry, and meanwhile, just lives are being turned upside down and upheaval because of something the Bible is very clear about, actually, like, hey, God hates one who sows division, it says in Proverbs. It says in the New Testament, if you, if someone's divisive, you should warn them once and then have nothing to do with them, and so here's a situation where this is something that needs to be dealt with, but it's seen as not as important, and the issue that Emma talked about is what we're gonna be looking at today is the issue of forgiveness. And it's similar. We can see it as kind of like, oh, that's just, that's nice, yeah, forgiveness, but it's not that essential. But as Emma described, unforgiveness will destroy our lives. It will eat us up on the inside, it will totally convolute and upset and wreak havoc on our emotional well being. It'll wreak havoc on our physical well-being. It will do horrible things to our relationships. Unforgiveness is very destructive, but yet it's so common, and it's so easy. And it's so easy to look at it like, oh yeah, like that's, you know, that's just how everybody is, and this, this is understandable. So we're gonna look at uh, the last parable of our parable series. This is kind of a, tra- Brendan kind of got it right. It's kind of our transition to our conversion story series we're starting next week. But we're going to look at, um, actually, the chapter that Emma mentioned, Matthew 18. Um, Jesus tells a story to illustrate this point. So um, to set it up, in Matthew 18, verse 21, Jesus is hanging out with his, his, his posse, his disciples, and it says, Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? When I read this, I think, clearly Peter had a brother. <laughs> like this, this is not just like a theoretical situation, but Peter had a brother, and any of you that had brothers or sisters or human beings that you know, this is something that comes up. Like, man, how many times do I need to forgive this guy? Like, he just keeps doing the same thing. He's really, you know, this is, this is, a, this is a pain. How many times? And when he said up to seven times, I'm sure he felt like, man, this, that would be pretty good. Um, the rabbis actually would teach that, hey, you should forgive someone up to three times. That was kind of like the gold standard of of Judaism was, hey, if someone sins against you, you should be forgiving, so forgive him up to three times. And so Peter's like, hey, I've been hanging around with Jesus. I figured out he seems to be more gracious and forgiving than, than the religious establishment. So maybe maybe three's not enough, but maybe seven is what I should be going for. And, you know, I'm sure he also thought, whoever he was thinking about, he was, it had probably been eight or nine at that time (laughs) that he'd he'd done the thing. So it was like, okay, can I move on at this point? Like, this is, this is, this keeps happening. So Jesus said to him, verse 22, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And. That number, 70 times 7, it's actually a little hard to translate. Is it 70 times 7 or 77? It's, I think, intentionally ambiguous, the way Jesus said it, because 7 was the, the, Hebrews had the understanding of the number of completeness. And Jesus is really just saying, just keep on forgiving. Just, there, don't keep track. I tell you, just keep on forgiving over and over and over and over and over, and over again. There's no, there's no end to this. And then he tells a story, which you got to love stories. You've got to love Jesus' stories. He's, he's really good at this. So He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is like a certain king. Who do we think the king is going to represent in this story? Any guesses? Good guess. God, yes. All right, there's a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Who would the servants be? Us. Very good. People. And when he had begun to settle accounts... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents." Now, well, that doesn't mean a lot to us because talent isn't a unit of monetary measure that we use, but a talent was a very large amount of money. It was about 75 pounds. So a talent of gold, we're talking about here, owed him 75 talents of gold. That, I did the calculations with current gold prices of $1,940 an ounce. This would be $23 billion, okay? This is a big debt. This isn't just like, oh, I forgot to pay someone for gas money. This is like Ukraine war. It's <laughs> sort of like we're talking like you, you, no, you, when the audience would have heard this, they would have been, whoa, that, what's, he's making a point here. This is an amount of money that there's no way he's ever going to repay it. He's going to, all his accumulated savings for his whole life, he's just not even a fraction, a small percent of what it would cost to pay the debt that he owes. But, so the servant owes $23 billion. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. So, hey, you can't pay it all, but, well, you're going to be sold into slavery. I'm going to get what I can for you and your family. And a payment has to be made. So that's the first truth we see in in this story that Jesus is telling, applying to our lives, is that our debt to God is greater than our ability to pay. What you and I, oh God, vastly exceeds what we can ever repay by saving up our allowance or trying to be good or trying to be nice whatever it is nothing we do can pay the debt that we owe God and you may be asking well why what do I owe God like I don't remember signing an IOU I don't how why why do I owe God but the debt that we owe God is what is accrued from our offenses? Well, really, a couple things. But part of it is the offenses that we have, our sins against God, have accrued a debt vastly bigger than anything we could, we could ever pay. If you think about like when there's a their class, like class action lawsuits or civil, civil suits where someone has wronged someone and they go to court and there's a settlement that says, okay, or a, a verdict that says, okay, you owe a million dollars for what you did. Well, if we look at our sins against God, if we look at our unfaithfulness to him, if I think about if, if one spouse cheats on their husband or their, their wife one time, Like that's a big offense. That's a big debt. That's not something that you can just like wink at and go on. But there is a big debt. And if we, when we understand that God is our, our maker, he is our creator, he is the one who created us to love him, and serve him. We owe everything that we have. We, we resist for him. And each of us has sinned against him, not just once, but thousands and thousands and thousands of times. We, we've lied. We've cheated. We've, we've loved other gods. We've been unfaithful to him. We've, the list goes on and on. Our, our, our debt is bigger than this 10,000 talents that the, the servant in this parable has. Um, so that's that's the starting point. We also have a debt because God has invested in us, like this the servant in the story. Was, there's, a, there's an expectation that, hey, I'm investing in you and you need to return, there needs to be a return on investment. And God has given each of us talents and abilities and he's, he's made us for a purpose. And each of us has squandered that investment. Each of us has lived for ourselves and not taken what he's given us. And lived for him and invested it for him. And so there is this massive debt that each of us owes to God. Well, thankfully, that's not the end of the story right there. That would be really a bummer. I mean, if we just ended right here and said, okay, just chew on that all week, <laughs> this is, this is how we're, what it's like, <laughs> man, that would be bad. That would be... But it's important to start there. So the story goes on, though. Verse 26. The servant, therefore, fell down before the king, saying... Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Yeah, right. But, you know, he's he's humbled and he's desperate and he's pleading for compassion. And he gets it. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. The... The, the king sees the condition of his servant and his heart goes out to him. And he says, I'm not going to expect what is rightfully mine, but I'm going to extend compassion and forgiveness and grace. That word, the moved with compassion, it, the, literally, it comes from the, the Greek word from the, like your inward parts, like your guts and your spleen and your heart. And it talks about someone who is moved in their inward parts. It's that the heart of the king saw his condition and was moved with care, was moved with concern, deeply wanted the best and wanted him to be delivered from his predicament and as a result of that forgave him. And how great is that? Like that, that, is what, this is, that is how God looks at us. That is how God deals with us. That our sin is an insurmountable debt towards him. For God looks at us, and especially if we have a heart to say, oh, God, will you please, will you please release me? Will you please forgive me? Will you please work with me here? God's heart is, is to say, yes, I'm moved with compassion. I want to remove that debt. I want to restore you and forgive you and put you not in the place that you deserve, but to put you in a place of favor. That is, that is what God does. That's what he did. That's the whole, what we were singing about this morning. That's Jesus. God sending his, very, his son his very best and saying that debt that you can't pay, I'm going to pay it. I'm going to die on the cross to pay the debt for your sins so you don't have to pay it. You can trust in me and receive the forgiveness that I offer for you if you'll turn from your sins and trust in me and follow me. And so God is moved with compassion. And that's, man, so many of us have forg- have, re- have experienced that. And God, I never... I, just the, the feeling of knowing the weight of sin on your shoulders, the weight of debt. And when you turn from your sins and turn to Jesus and it's gone, oh my goodness. I mean, Jesse, what, how I never forget. That, it changes your life forever to know, wow, that's off of me. I've been forgiven. That debt is gone. Thank God. So, God, with compassion, God forgives. So, we could stop there. Um, but it's so good. It's so good. Psalms 32.1 says that, Blessed is the one whose, transg- whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sin is covered. Blessed is the person against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Man, what a blessing. Yeah. There is such a blessing when we turn to Jesus and, and put our faith in him and what he did on the cross and our blessing is not, oh yeah, I'm, I'm successful because of what I did, but because of what we've received from him. That is a true blessing. That is what God brings us into. So we could stop right there. Um, but the story doesn't stop there, interestingly enough. There's a twist. It's a plot twist. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And so this is, again, not our unit of measure, but that would be uh, but maybe $10,000. All right, so it's, you know, it's a decent amount, but compared to $23 billion, like nothing. Okay, basically nothing. It's a, it's a decent amount, but, you know, someone could pay that off over time. I owed him 100 denarii, and the first servant laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And so the first servant remembered what had been done to him and graciously said, Oh, yes, I will forgive you. No, you'd expect that. That would be appropriate, but that's not what he did. But he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Wow, what a scumbag. (laughs) What a jerk. I mean... How, how forgetful and ungrateful is this dude? He was forgiven so much. But then he's holding on to the debt that was due to him. And obviously there's a point here that we're that guy, right? We're that guy. So often we who receive God's forgiveness in Jesus, that's so much bigger than anything that's owed to us. But when things are done to us, we hold them against the people. We hold it over their heads. It's hard to let go of a debt mentality. It really is. It's, it is we are deeply wired to seek justice, and that's a good thing. But we're, we're much better at knowing where we've been wronged than where we've wronged. Right? Like we, we get it when someone wrongs us. Like we we know justice is important. Man, this this needs to be made right. But the stuff that we do, man, we we have a different scale, different standard of that. Um, it's it's hard to let go of that. It's so natural for us to live by a you owe me mentality, by kind of a tit for tat economic system of hey you did this, you need to make it right, and that's just that's the natural way of the world. That's the way we are apart from the grace of God. That's a good sense of justice that God has put in us, corrupted and twisted by sin. But it's hard for us to let go. And so, so many of us are like, yeah, man, I I know that's true. But yet, man, when there are things that have been done to me that I haven't yet forgiven somebody for. And, you know, I'm not saying that forgiveness is easy or that wrongs don't matter. Forgiveness is not saying that what was done to you is insignificant, all right? Don't please understand me. Like, there, there's, there are things that have been done to us that really weren't that big of a deal that we have a hard time letting go of, but there are real hurts, real injustices, real violations. I mean, if we would go around this room, there, we'd have people that have been abused, people that have been sexually violated, we, people that have been taken advantage of financially, um, really dysfunctional and broken relationships and family dynamics, and please understand, I am not excusing or making light of any of that. That stuff matters. and that's, that's why Jesus went to the cross and died for, for all of that. Um, so those things forgiveness is not saying those things don't matter. But forgiveness is saying, Wait, Jesus extended grace to me when I didn't deserve it. I'm going to say that was wrong what was done to me, but I choose to release you from that guilt, in the same way that Jesus released me from the guilt that and the debt that I owed him. In um. In Luke 7:47, there's a situation where. Where a uh, uh, woman who was a, probably a prostitute. She was a known sinner. But she came and she was just pouring, she was, she was expressing her devotion and love to Jesus and pouring out this perfume upon him that was really expensive. And again, the religious establishment were upset and offended and like, don't they know what she's done? And Jesus said, hey, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. And those who have been Forgiven little. So she because as a result of that, she loves much. Because she knows that she was a sinner and she's been forgiven. But the one who's been forgiven little loves little. And the reality is, all of us have been offered forgiveness or experienced much forgiveness of the $23 billion kind of debt. The problem is not all of us realize it. And if you don't realize what we've been forgiven, we don't love and forgive the way that that we should, the way God calls us to. C.S. Lewis said that to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Wow, it's so good. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. So often we take... (laughs) Christianity, and we make it all about, like, moralism and being good and doing enough right things and kind of this, this religious, like, positioning. But this is this is the beginning of it all. It's, wow, I've received God's forgiveness of my inexcusable sin. Man, now I want to extend that to other people too. That's, thank God that this, like, this, this broken tit-for-tat justice is not the only way there is to live there is a grace there is a an infusion of money like you know it's like there's a there's a stimulus package a spiritual stimulus package of trillions of dollars that just like blows that whole system up that says like hey no there's enough there's enough there's enough great god is a gracious god he's an abundant god he's a god of mercy and forgiveness and compassion he gives in more than enough and so we can receive that. And then out of that place of receiving it, we can then pass that on to other people. Hebrews 12.15 says, Be careful, this is in the Phillips translation, be careful that none of you fails to respond to the grace which God gives you. For if he does, there can very easily spring up in him a bitter spirit or a bitter root, which is not only bad in itself, but it can also poison the lives of many others, how many of, us have ex- how many of us have experienced that, either in others or in our own heart, that when we don't respond to the grace and we don't and we allow bitterness to take hold in our heart, that root it goes down deep. And I was pulling weeds in my yard this past week, and after a few couple weeks of hundred degree days dry ground, it's like, oh, man, that root, it's hard to get out of there without breaking off. That's how bitterness is. That's how unforgiveness is. It goes in, and it's hard to get out. But everything that comes from that is going to be poisonous. Everything that comes from that is going to be bitter. It's, we're stuck in that place. Um. Yeah. Keep going. Verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved. And they came and told their master all that had been done. Then the master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant. this, This is scary. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my Heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you, from his heart, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Man, a lot of us have tasted the the fruit of forgiveness. We've received it from God. We've received it from other people. Probably all of us have received that, experienced that, where at some point in life we did something and someone extended forgiveness to us. And hope probably most or all of us have forgiven someone else. And we've tasted, man, that, there's a freedom that comes from that. There's a, man, this is a, there is a good reward that comes from that. But the flip is also true, that there are really bad consequences for not forgiving. If we don't forgive... We see a few things here. If we don't forgive others, then we hurt others. Man, you know, we, we, that person is hurt more by our actions toward them. Just like the guy ended up being thrown in, thrown in jail. Um, we hurt others. But it's not just them. Not only they are hurt, but we experience torment. And that story, that guy, the, the king threw him to the torturers. Oh my goodness, that's intense. But when we are living in unforgiveness, we end up coming in a place of torment. We are tortured. Those thoughts that keep going through our minds, like, I can't believe they did that to me. And man, my wife has been affected by that. The, the videos, the, the memories, they play over and over and over again. And we end up, we're, we're tortured by that, by that unforgiveness. Um, that, it's been said that unforgiveness, it's like when, you, when we don't forgive, it's a prison cell. That we, are, we, we get locked into a prison cell. And the keys are actually hanging right there on the wall. But until we grab the key of forgiveness and put it in the lock and choose to forgive the person, we are stuck in that cell. But when we do, we come out. Nelson Mandela talked about this, who literally was in jail for years and years for standing up against the injustice of apartheid and talk about just grievances in South Africa that had happened for hundreds of years and devastated lives. But eventually, mercy and justice prevailed, began to prevail, and he was released from prison. And he said this, he said, as I walked out the door, out the door to my freedom. I knew that if I did not leave all the anger, bitterness, and hatred behind, that I would still be in prison. Thank God He was able to do that, and it actually brought reconciliation to His nation. So, if we don't forgive, we hurt others. We, hurt, we experience torment, and the scariest of all, God does not forgive us. Wow! I wouldn't say this unless Jesus said it so clearly. <laughs> But that's what he says multiple times, that if we don't forgive others, he doesn't forgive us. He said it right there in that story. He said it also, and it's recorded in Matthew six fourteen and 15. He says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So, and there are real consequences for, for not living this way for unforgiveness. I think it's important to realize you know, that forgiving others doesn't earn our salvation. It's not that God's like, okay, yeah, you've done this, therefore you know, you've earned something. But it's more that we've demonstrated that we get it. That we're, we've received God's grace and his forgiveness. And that we're, we're letting it transform us. And we're getting it. And we're, we're passing that salvation and that grace on to other people. As he's called us to. Okay, so what do we do with this? Well, it's almost pretty obvious, I think. But let's just walk through this. Next steps. How do we apply this to our lives? First thing we gotta do, it's all dependent upon this. We gotta admit the, we have to admit our unrepayable debt that we have to God. We gotta acknowledge, man, I'm a sinner. I have sinned royally against my creator, against my first love, the one who made me for a purpose. I've sinned against him. I have a debt that is huge, that is beyond my ability to ever repay it. Nothing I ever do, no, not being religious, no amount of good works, no, nothing is ever going to repay that debt that I have towards God. I'm a debtor. And then, After we admit that, we can receive forgiveness through Christ. You know, if you've never come to this, man, today is the best day possible. Say, wow, okay, I realize I am a sinner, but Jesus died for my sins. He died to take away that debt, and I can receive it by turning from my sins and trusting him and his work, what he did on the cross to pay that price and be transferred to him so that I could have a fresh start, a new life. We can receive forgiveness through Christ. You know, and really, that's something we do. The first time I remember, I'll never forget the time that I first received forgiveness, when my mom explained what Jesus had done on the cross and, and talked me through, you're a sinner, you know that, right? I was like, yeah, I, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> and do you know Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Do you want him to take away your sins? Yeah, I want that. And praying and receiving that gift, man, changed my life forever. Uh, and that happens initially, and then that happens over and over again. Is saying, okay, God, I, Lord, I, for the sins that I've committed, I, re- I need your forgiveness. I trust you for your forgiveness. So we admit our, our debt. We receive forgiveness through Christ. And then the next thing is to replace our debt mentality with a grace mentality. It's letting God and partnering with him to change our mindset. And we need him to help us to see where, okay, how I've been thinking in this tit for tat, right and wrong, who wronged me, who did this. Where is that mentality, the way of thinking that I'm living under? Where am I living under a mentality that is different from the abundant grace of God, the trillions and trillions? Of surplus that he's poured out. And which am I living in? God's surplus or counting and keeping track of the things that are done to me. And choose and say, okay, yeah, I know. I I like to count. I like to keep track. It's very easy and natural. But okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna live, I'm not gonna count. I'm not gonna live that way. I'm gonna live according to God's abundant grace that He's brought about. So replacing that mentality. And then the key thing, number four, forgive. Forgive others. Forgiveness, again, it's not saying that it didn't matter or that it wasn't a violation or wrong. But it's a choice to release that person from the guilt, from the offense that they have done towards you. And we've got people in this room, all the offenses that I've said that have forgiven people of big, Relational violations. I mean, I loved Emma's story. People that have, people that have been raped, that have forgiven their rapist. People that have been wronged in huge ways, and have experienced the freedom that comes from that. Man, it is such a gift. It is such a blessing. Um, so that is. Um, and I'm not saying. You know, oftentimes, you know, there is typical that there is a. An experience, an emotional component, as we forgive others, that we experience that. But I want to be clear, sometimes there's a walking out of the emotions. It's not based upon our emotions. It's not based on, how do I know if I've forgiven them? Well, you may have to just say, oh, I'm not sure I forgive you right now. If you're not sure, make the choice, okay, I forgive that person now. But it's not based upon your feelings. It's a choice to say that wrong that was done, I release you from the wrong. And I... I pass that on to you to forgive others. So good. So, so life-giving. So making us be that different kind of people like Jesus in the world, experiencing it, and then bringing it to others. Um, so, yeah, this is, you know, today I trust there. some of us are like, oh, yeah, there's that thing. There's that thing that I, it, it, was, it was wrong. And it hurt it's affected my life, but I haven't forgiven that person today's a day to come to that place to say man i I forgive you. You don't have to tell them that you forgive them. It may be good, it may not be good that's you have to is it going to help them to tell them that's something you got to look at if they don't even know that, you know, it, sometimes it's like, you know, they don't even know they wronged you, or they don't even, they're not going to agree that it was wrong. It may not be what you need to do. It's more about your internal place of coming to that place towards them. Um, you know, seen some funny things done where it's like, man, I forgive you for that horrible thing you did. Like, well, I don't think you're actually forgiving. <laughs> I think you're just like one to let them know. <laughs> so, but truly releasing people from grace, from, from not grace, from, from the offense. So I want to pray for us. And I, you know, this is something, if you have questions, um, there are plenty of us here you can talk to. Um, let me just ask, though, is there, is there a question that you have about this topic? Because I know, you know as it plays out in practicality, there are some challenges and nuances and questions that we have. So any, are there a couple, any question or two about this? No pressure. just want to give space if there is. Sean.
0: It's more theological than practical. Um, the idea that God will forgive us if forgive others, that kind of sounds contradictory to the idea that we're just plain forgiven by Jesus' um, dying and coming back to life for us. So how do you
1: reconcile that? Good question. Yeah. Did everyone hear that? So how does, you know, the... the essential part of Christianity is that it's grace, that it's not by works that we're saved. So this, how do we reconcile that God says, hey, you, I won't forgive you if you don't forgive others? I think our shallow understanding of faith plays into our, it, it shows up in this, in our difficulty of reconciling these things, because so often we have thought and sometimes been taught that that grace just means that god it 's like a, a sloppy kiss, and that 's all, and it 's just like being nice, but The grace of God, when when, when we respond, when we get God's grace towards us and respond to it, it changes our heart. If if our heart isn't changed, then we haven't really experienced God's grace. And if, if we really receive forgiveness, and along with the forgiveness comes a change of our nature, actually. Like when we believe in Jesus, He changes us on the inside. And our very desires change. So it's not just like, okay, now I'm going to try to live by this different code. But it's the life. Like, Jesus' life becomes our life. His nature becomes our most core nature. There's still a part of us that's not transformed yet. But our deepest heart is, is his heart. And so if we have received that, then we will want to forgive. There will be like the deepest... Sometimes it's buried with a lot of other crap. But there's something in there that's like, okay, yeah, I, I, want, to, I want to forgive. Um, and then similarly, so grace is like that. And then faith is like that, too, that faith is not just this like, okay, I believe intellectually that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and he's, he's God. But faith is a believing loyalty. It's an allegiance to him as well. So it's, I believe you are king. I believe you are Lord. And not just Lord up there but Lord of me. You're my Lord. I'm saying yes to you being my king. And so if we have that sort of faith, then it will be proven and demonstrated by our actions and by what we do. And so if we have that kind of believing loyalty, real faith, then we will forgive others. So good question. Yeah. Really good. Anything else? All right. I won't ask if you have anyone to forgive. Well, I, I mean, asking, but not, you know, I'm not asking for a show of hands or anything. Um, but, yeah, let me just, I want to pray for us. Let's ask God to help us. So let's pray together. Lord, I'm trusting you right now for greater understanding of your work on the cross to forgive us, to forgive the world. I'm asking right now for a a genuine, powerful, inner understanding of your grace, God. That we have received what we don't deserve. And that changes everything. And God, I'm asking also for real action and help the people in this room to be obedient to if there, where there are places of unforgiveness. I pray that today forgiveness would happen. Trust you that as that happens, that people are going to experience your grace, both the forgivers and the forgivees. Lord, and I thank you, Lord, thank you that we get to be instruments of your forgiveness, of your unmerited, undeserved forgiveness and grace in the world. So, Lord, I pray that the, from the people in this room, there would be a multiplication of others that experience the benefits of, of this truth and this, this reality. Lord, we thank you for it. Trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.